So let's get the elephant out of the room or the, the elephant out of the garage. Yes, if you're watching this, I am in my garage. I couldn't get out of the house today for reasons that are, would be boring to you. And uh, and my wife, she works from home and, and she has her office upstairs. And the problem is that I'm allowed talker so so i'm not the kind of person you can be in the next room with when i when i get a phone call if i am working from home uh, i use the guest bedroom and when i am working from home if i get a phone call i basically have to like get in my car and drive to another zip code in order to not interrupt my wife i, I get a little loud and so this i decided i'm gonna do it in the garage it's not glamorous this is not me in a quaint location sipping tea. This is actually the unfiltered and raw version of my favorite place to hang out. I've got a little man cave right there with a TV where I can watch some football, my motorcycle, my chopped Chevy right here. So this actually, if I could, I would record here every week. I love to be in the garage. So welcome to my humble abode. I didn't want you to be the whole video distracted by where where is this guy? So this is not this is not a super sexy location, but I'm hoping that the content that we share today is worth the dragging you into um, the the cave, uh, the dungeon of my garage with me. And if you're watching or I mean, if you're listening on a podcast somewhere, you're like, dude, I don't really care where you record. So, so let me get into it. So that that, that video, and, and if you didn't see the video, you heard uh, you heard the audio from the video. That's that's George from from uh, Seinfeld and he is not wrong like we don't want our worlds to collide you know like like God forbid your friends uh hang out with your girlfriend you're right then God forbid uh your 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 church friends meet your work friends if they see you in your work location that could be disastrous but but the reality of it is it, it shouldn't be the reality of it is we should be able to be anywhere with any of our friends because there's the same version of us. Because we're not operating the same way that we used to. Those of us who are in Christ, then we know it to be true. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things have become brand new. We have a new identity in Jesus and what if that identity was what permeated through all of our friend groups Robin Dunbar who's just the authority on relationships and friendships he's written books on the topic he he believes that friendships number one the amount of hours involved in creating friendships he he, he there's a book I forget it's called friends but there's a subtitle I forget what it is but look up Robin Dunbar if you're interested it's just a profoundly interesting um, book about, I mean, it's not an easy read, but it's what the work that goes into our friendships, the, the amount of, of, of uh, Venn diagrams of our life that have to intersect with other people's lives in order to find those things we, where we carve friendships out of. He would say there's seven pillars of friendship. And we don't have to have all seven of these, but the more of them that we have, the more likely it will be that we can develop closer and closer friendships. Those pillars are the way you speak, your dialect, your hobbies and interests, your religious views, your moral views, your sense of humor, your mus musical taste, and your career tra trajectory. And so it does make sense, though, that, that there are different groups of people that develop different 
friend groups. And, and when those worlds collide, we don't maybe at work have the same religious views as we do and can expect to have at church. Maybe musical interests differ from this group to this group. Your career trajectory is not important when you're with your basketball friends. And, and so it makes sense that we would have different groups of friends because the Venn diagram of friendship merges differently in different groups of people. However, there is one common denominator in every single friend group. You and me. That in all my friend groups, though I might have different groups of people that are represented in each group in different locations, work and school and home and, and, and insert what your hobbies or whatever. And, and in each of those groups, it makes sense that those groups might not be plug and play universally, but I'm the same in every one. And am I bringing the same version of me to everyone. If you've been around for a while, you know I've shared my story. I've shared my story of how difficult it was for me, uh, especially in my late 20s and early 30s. Like I was just clawing and grinding for to have uh, affirmation, really to be accepted in, in, in a different friend group. And I literally, you could have like separated even my closet by what friend group I was going to hang out with. If I was going to be with my church friends, I looked dressed like I just can't walked out of H&M. If I'm going to ride custom motorcycles with my my Harley friends, I look like a, a dirtbag biker. And, and if I'm going to go play in a country music band, I look like I just came out of a country bar. Like, and even though like it, we can wear whatever that we want, for me, you could even tell what friends I was going to go with by how I was dressed in a, in a hope to try to belong there. But the truth of the matter is, the more we understand our identity in Jesus, the less concerned we have to be about that. And I'm learning... I'm learning that lesson well. I'm trying to. There's, I want to read this scripture verse to you. Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. Above all you must live as citizens of heaven. Conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Above all you must live as citizens of heaven. Which, which trumps where you work or where you go to church or what, what matters to you, your values. And more important than that is we live like we are citizens of heaven. And as citizens of heaven, we take that identity to every group with us. And we do so conducting ourselves in a manner that is worthy of the good news of Christ. Oh man, like doesn't that just potentially sting? You know, different seasons of life for me, it stung more and more. But I need to live worthy of the gospel of Christ, that my life is demonstrating the good news of Jesus in everything I do and in everything I say, no matter what group of friends I'm with, no matter if I'm with church, church friends or I'm with my music friends or you're with your work friends or you're with your whatever friends, what, what if we acted and lived consistently in a way that conducted ourselves according to this treasure that's been put inside of us, the story of Jesus that, that we've been invited into. Uh, four things, um, not overly profound, pretty simple, but hopeful, hopefully tangible takeaways. Uh, as we look at this new series, we're doing everyday theology. Now, everyday theology, theology just meaning the study of God. So how do we see God, the work of God in our lives, in everyday things? The subtitle of this, head, of this uh, series is reconnecting all of life back to Christ. No longer seeing the sacred and the secular. 
I, I remember I remember going uh, or getting a guitar from my dad. It was my first kind of decent guitar. And he gave it to me and he said, now son, I'm gonna give you this guitar, but you are not allowed to play any secular music on this guitar, only Christian music. And I said, okay, dad. And I, and I honored that. I actually never did on that guitar. I mean, I have since then played secular music on every guitar, but, but I never did on that guitar. But I remember going to my dad and saying, hey dad, uh, is instrumental blues Christian or secular? My dad kind of thought for a minute and he said, well, it's not Christian, so it's secular. I, I spent my life in context of my faith journey kind of untangling, this is good, this is not. This is okay, this is not okay. This is sin, this is not. And there, there is a, don't, don't misunderstand me, there is a truth uh, that we are to live by. There's not just, there's no, there's not an absence of truth, but the Bible says that because of Christ, all things have been given to us and we have freedom for them. All things are permissible. Now, now, now Paul says, and he's careful to say, not all things are helpful, not all things are healthy, not all things should you, should you be a part of, but because of Christ, he has reconciled or made right all things. And so all of our life should not be divided. This is Christian and this is not because we have Christ inside of us. So therefore, all of the things that we should do should be about living worthy of the gospel's narrative that's been given to us, that we've been adopted into. And these four things as we work through this everyday theology, ours this week is the theology of friendship. The first of four is consistency prevents embarrassing collisions. Consistency prevents embarrassing collisions. I'm circling back to George and the world's colliding. Uh, the best way to avoid those nasty collisions is to live a consistent life that's the same in every place. Some, sometimes the greatest reason we don't want our worlds to collide is for fear of being exposed. And I'll just be honest with you, I've lived both ways. I, I have not wanted my Christian friends to come around because I was afraid how my, my out-of-church friends would, would change the way they think of me if, if I started interacting with my Christian friends. And on the same way, I, I have not wanted my friends outside of the walls of the church, to, to this, my, my Christian friends, to see me around those friends. And when that happens, the, the problem is not my friend groups problem is the common denominator of those friend groups, me, and it's the inconsistent way that I'm living. In Mark chapter 12, it says this about Jesus, and they came and said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and you don't care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances, but you truly teach the way of God. Jesus was not swayed by appearances. He didn't care what people were saying. He was the same. You are truly teaching the way of God. They were able to see that he was who he said he was because he was consistent. I wrote down he was he who he was could be trusted because it never changed. 
everyone had come to know that Jesus is who he says he is because no matter if he was in the home of a sinner or if he was in the synagogue or if he was in the street performing miracles, he was the same Jesus. And because he was the same, those around him said, we have come to know that you are truly who you say you are because you're not swayed by anything around you. Consistency is the key to really being taken serious for who we want to be in the story of Jesus. We, we don't have to be swayed. We can, family, be the same. I'm learning this. I'm discovering this. Last weekend on, on Friday, me and my band, I, I play in a band, all original songs, kind of southern rockish, blues rockish, and we played uh, an event called Concerts in the Park, and it's, it's an awesome event. Like, it's a real coveted event to play. We were really honored. Um, they say there was like five or 6,000 people there, and I did something that blew my wife's mind and my daughter's mind. We were about three songs in, and with my telly slung across my shoulder, in my in my my uh, rock star persona, I I said from stage, uh, "Hey, just my day job is that I'm a pastor," and I very briefly just shared uh, before we we did a song called WWJD, which is just about. Uh, untangling who Jesus is versus who I was told that he is. And I, and I said from that stage, and as a pastor, I just want you to know that Jesus cares a lot about the city, cares a lot about you. And I maybe for a minute or two just shared my journey of trying to untangle what I heard about Jesus with what I've learned about Jesus. And then we, my wife and my daughter and I were at dinner uh, after the show that night, and they were both like, I can't believe you said that you're a pastor. And they, they say that because saying you're a pastor is a coin toss. Either people are going to slide away from you and, or just casually slip away from you, or they're going to they're gonna have wounds and be like, oh, they're going to think that you're going to judge them, or maybe they'll be, maybe they'll, it'll meet them in a warm way, but it's just a coin toss. And my wife and dad couldn't believe that I said that. And I told them that in preparation for this message, I want to learn to be passionate about what I'm passionate about all the time. And I love being your pastor. I love leading Converge. I love what we're discovering together about being the church. And I want to love that. Even when I've got a Telecaster on singing rock and roll songs, this is just who I am. Consistency is the best way to avoid collisions. And I'm just the same person and I want my life to be trusted because it never changed no matter where I am or who I'm with in, in Ephesians chapter 4 Paul says therefore I a prisoner for serving the Lord beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God and it goes on in verse 2 always be humble and gentle be patient with, the, with each other making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. I, 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 what I loved about this verse is that Paul's saying, I'm begging you to lead a life worthy of what it means to be in Christ. And literally, Paul's saying, I would get on my knees and I would beg you and, and, and just live a, live a life worthy of what it means to be in Christ, to, to reconnect your life to the things of God. And then he says, the way to, how do we do that? And Paul says, right after saying, I'm begging you to lead a life worthy. How do you do that? By being humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because you love them. And this is a thread that you and I can live by in order to live consistently. Humbleness, gentleness. And then Paul made a point to say, 
Don't jump on people when they don't act like you, when they don't think like you, when they're wrong. He says making room for their faults, that you and I would carve out space that people are more than the sum of their last mistake, their last unraveling, that we would leave space for that. Why? Because of our love for them. Consistency, it prevents embarrassing collisions. Number two, stop trying to be a quote, friend of sinners. Stop trying to be a friend of sinners. And I've got in my notes, parenthetically, just be a friend. Just be a friend. So I, I knew this, the whole concept of this message in the theology of friendship. One of the first scripture verses that came to mind as I was meditating on what direction I might go is, is Jesus as a friend of sinners. And I began to research and study friend of sinners. What, what, what that passage and and what does it mean? And I stumbled upon this resource of, a, of a, a church that you likely would be familiar with. And it said tips on being a friend of sinners. Tips on being a friend of sinners. Here's, here's what they're referring to when they, when they say tips on being a friend of sinners. And these were trying to be helpful ways that we can be friends with sinners. Here's where the verse is coming from. Luke chapter 7, verse 33 and 34. For John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating bread or drinking wine. And you say... He's possessed by a demon. Jesus says, for me, the son of man, on the other hand, I do feast and drink. And you say he's a glutton and a drunkard. And he's a friend of tax collectors. And he is a friend of sinners. Here, Jesus is recognizing that he's being called a friend of sinners. And among this site is a tips for being a friend of sinners. And the Holy Spirit met me while I'm reading these tips and simply said, do you see the problem with tips of being a friend of sinners. I don't need tips to be a friend of sinners. Here's what Paul said. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he says, of whom I am the worst. I learned it in the, in the King James Version. Paul says, I am the chief among sinners. I'm the mayor of Sinville. He says, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. The problem with being a friend of sinners is that it puts us on the other side as if I and my Christian friends are not sinners. Paul, this, we're talking about Paul, the, the, the guy who, who established churches. I mean, this is the dude that just wrote so many of the letters in the New Testament. He is in the church, and he says, I am the chief among all sinners. The problem with trying to be a friend of sinners is that you and I tend to forget that we are the chief sinners among them. And that's what Jesus was saying in, in Luke. He, he wasn't... He wasn't affirming that he was a friend of sinners. He was saying, this is what you call me. And I believe Jesus was saying, the problem is that you Pharisees don't see yourself as a sinner. And so you see me hanging with sinners. But Jesus would say, when I'm with you, I'm also hanging with sinners. So Jesus would say, I'm just a friend. With, 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 with John the Baptist, he didn't, he didn't do ministry the way that I did. And so you said he was demon possessed because he was a weirdo just out in the 
the wilderness. Jesus says, I do hang out at these festivals. I do eat and drink. And he says, now you call me a drunkard and a glutton. And oh, he hangs out with sinners. And what Jesus is trying to say, he's not affirming that, yes, he is a friend of sinners. He is saying there is a problem, Pharisees, that you see yourself better than the people that I'm eating with, like tax collectors and who you would call sinners. In fact, in the very next passage of scripture, a woman comes into the room and begins to wash Jesus' feet with her hair and expensive oil. And one of the one of the Pharisees says, man, if he knew who he was, he would not let that sinner touch him. It's just case in point that, that Jesus' ministry was lived out so that Everyone around him knew, yes, you have sinned, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus says, but the invitation is that I want to be with everyone. And so the, the, the tips that I want him to remind us of today is not how do we as the church befriend those outside of the church. It's to say the role that we have is to not see ourselves any better, any more learned. This isn't an elitist club. Like we are to serve the marginalized and the least of these. And on top of that, to become friends with those that live other than us, that decide things other than us, that make choices other than us. Our invitation is not to try to learn to be a friend of dirty sinners, but to just be a friend. Do you know that you can, you can walk into places that they might not mirror your decisions and you can have the same Jesus Christ inside of you. But friend, I'm not inviting you to, to, to d step outside of your own convictions and your own values. I'm not saying that the best place that you can be is a strip club or a porn convention or other, other areas that might, that might be difficult. If you have a problem with alcohol, I'm not saying you just abandon uh, the carefulness of your decisions and now go hang out in bars. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying we are getting it wrong if there are places we don't go because there are simply dirty sinners there. Now, if there are things there that bend our, our, our lifestyle and our convictions, and I'm not, then, then, then we need to make the kinds of decisions that protect our integrity to live as sons and daughters of God. But Jesus would say, don't make decisions as if you think that you are better because you're in the church or you're a believer. In fact, we need to be living in such a way that sees ourselves as the chief among them. And that allows us to be friends with people that don't live like us. Moving on, I'm gonna skip that next verse. Number three, developing friendships that pull me towards Jesus is really, really important. Now, I'm not gonna put it on this video, but, but there's a, a diagram from that same Robin Dunbar where he put together, it's called the circle of friendship. And it goes from faces that on the outside um, faces that we know, names that we know, uh, and it goes all the way into the very, very center. And in the very center, it says ego, which is a psychology term for, for self, and that's one person. And then another circle just outside of that, that's one and a half people for those that, of us that have spouses or partners. Um, that's there. And then it goes to be intimate friendships, to friendships, to casual friendships, to uh, just friend groups, and, and it, it spreads out. What I think is really important is that on the inside of those friends and on the inside of the friends that have the most influence over our lives here, they're the ones that we first call when crisis hits. They're the ones that we depend on when we really need something. I'm suggesting to you today on this point number three, developing friendships that pull me towards Jesus 
is really, really important. There are times that, um, that I'm, I'm meeting with people and, and talking to people and navigating through difficult things. And one of my first questions, or maybe one of the last questions before we wrap up is, do you, do you, have, do you have friends that will help you navigate this and, and, and pull you towards Jesus? And, and when the answer is no, it, being honest with you, it, it makes it harder for me to imagine that, that the things that we share together, which puts Christ and his word at the center, that they'll be able to sustain that because friends that don't love Jesus and they don't know Jesus are naturally going to pull us away from the things of God. So yeah, you should leave that man. Yeah, we should. Don't worry about that. You don't. That's not that big of a deal. And when our when the center parts of our lives don't have friends that are pulling us close to Jesus, it's really hard to stay anchored in the things of God when those difficult parts of life hit. Jesus understood this. He, he, he understood the circle of friendship. If you think, you know, the times when he'd be out with the multitudes and then, and then he'd leave the multitudes and he'd go stay at someone's house, him and his disciples and, and this community of people and this village. And, and then there'd be times he'd get away with just his disciples, so him and his 12 disciples. And, and then there'd be times when, a lot of times when he really needed to get away and pray, he'd pull just Peter, James, and John and his inner circle. And Jesus understood that, that, that there are parts of life that we don't need to expose on social media. There are parts of life that we don't need to just blast out there so that every piece of our friendship circle is exposed to it. There are times that we need to pull away with those closest friends and really get the support that we need. And I would encourage you that having friends that pull you towards Jesus when you're there is really, really important. In, in Luke, there's a passage of scripture where this paralytic man uh, wanted to be healed obviously but he couldn't get into where Jesus was and so his friends maybe you know the story they somehow got this paralytic man on the roof which imagine how they even did that and then they ripped open the roof and they lowered him down through the roof to the feet of Jesus and Jesus says something profound in Luke chapter 5 verse 20 he says when Jesus saw their faith not the faith of the paralytic man. When Jesus saw the faith of his friends, he said to the man, friend, your sins are forgiven. That paralytic man had surrounded himself with people that got him to Jesus. And I don't know the theology of it, can't even make sense of it, but Jesus didn't say because of your sin, because of your faith, paralytic man. He said, because of the faith of your friends, your, your sins are forgiven, get up and walk. And that man was, was hoisted down through the roof to get there, but he went out the front door because of the faith of his friends. Get you some friends that are pulling you towards Jesus. Psalm chapter 27 and verse six says, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. I had a friend once that we had had a hard conversation. He was a pastor. He was actually my pastor at the time. And we had had a hard conversation and, and he texted me uh, about an hour later, later that night, texted me this verse, and the version that he sent it to me just simply said, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, which is to say that don't choose to be around people that make you feel better. Sometimes what we need is friends that draw us towards Christ. And that might not be the easy road. Oh, but it's the good road. 
Oh, it's the road that nets us healing. And it's the road that nets us a new, a, a new opportunity to, for restoration and, and for reconciliation. So I encourage you, family, developing friendships that pull me towards Jesus is really, really important. And lastly, number four, when Jesus is at the center of my life, the closer people get to me, the closer that they get to Jesus. When Jesus is at the center of my life, the closest people, the closer people get to me, the closer that they get to Jesus. If if you, I know what, you, you guys don't get to see it, but that, that friendship diagram that goes all the way to the center, at the center where it says ego, that, that psychology term, it's not, not about ego as in like you have a big head, ego is psychology term for self. And, and you and I would say, those of us that are in Christ at the center of me is Jesus. And as those friend groups meet, go from casual acquaintances, faces I know, to just groups of people I hang out with, to the closest, the close friendships, that would say, that would mean that the closest, the closer that they get to me, the closer that they are to Jesus, because I have Jesus living inside of me. And this is the theology of friendship. The, the, the theology, meaning the, 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 under, the studying and understanding more and more about God. This is the theology of friendship. The closer my friends get to me, the closer the proximity that they have to the Jesus who is inside of me. And when you and I live the same we live the same consistent lives. That means that all of our friend groups are being drawn closer to Jesus, the closer that they get to me because there is a Jesus that lives inside of me. If you read the newsletter, I, I want to just be quick about it. Uh, video and podcasts are hard to, to really stay on for 40 plus minutes. So I won't try to wrap it up, but I do want to nod at uh, the newsletter that I, I, that I was a send a little blurb in the newsletter, and I referenced that the term missional church, which is the kind of church that, that converges and the type of church that we are becoming. And, and missional church, if, those, if you've been around church for a while, you recognize the root worm, the root worm, the root word mission, missionary, which really, when you think of the missionary, we think it's who we send out to third world countries and we support them so that they can share the gospel. And a missional church is very much so the same thing, that we believe that Converge is about coming together and being the family of God, being the church and worshiping and creating creating the kinds of things that keep us connected and close, but we're only together for 90 minutes, 75 minutes. If I'm preaching, 90 minutes. We're only together that part of the week. And if the sum of our church and what we accomplish happens in that moment, we will fail. But if we leave there and those that call Converge their home get sent out as missionaries to their home, to their neighborhood, to your cul-de-sac, to your workplace, to your dorm, to your school. If we can send people out who are aware of what they are a part of to try to help people discover what what matters most to you and the friend groups that you meet, the friendships that you make. And as they get close to you, they are getting close to the Jesus inside of you. And you then therefore are a missionary to those different groups. This is what it means to be a missional church, that the sum of who we are as a church, we don't think it ends. Our mission would fail if it ended when we're together. There's other kinds of churches. I won't spend a lot of time on it, but a couple extractional churches 
This is how I was raised. I was raised in a church with an extractional mission, and that is we need to get people that, that are, are churchy in the church and keep them away from the, the sinners. There's people that would tempt and draw away from. And, and when you're an extractional church, you need to think the same. Many times you look the same. There's like this way that we act as church people. And if you want in, there has to be some kind of radical conversion moment where you say, I will look and act and think like you. And then we'll, we'll, let, the, we'll let you in. But if you begin to not look, think, act like us, then you are again out. We the extractional model says we need to be locked away so that we aren't tainted by the world. This is the extractional model. The, the most common model in the, in the evangelical church is the attractional model. That's how I've lived most of my life in church ministry. It's a very, it's a very successful way to be the church. It's this idea that what we do, what we build, build the programs, the events that, that we're wanting to say to those on the outside, come and see what matters most to us. It's, it's the idea in an attractional model, like, like how I've been in ministry, it's bigger and better. We got to one-up what we did last year because we want to help people keep coming back. In many ways, at the heart of it is we want you to feel like you can come here. We want to attract you to the work of Christ by, by drawing you into the way that we are doing ministry. It's a very facility-building-centric, program-centric. There is nothing wrong with that model, and so many people have come to know Jesus because of that particular model of ministry. But the problem is that that model of ministry says, come and see what Jesus has done. Well, I want for us to be, you can come, you are welcome. This is a safe place. But, but more important than coming and seeing is that you and me would go and tell. Because you will be at the center of relationships and friend groups and communities of people that will never be. And the closer that those people are to you, that would mean the closer that they are to Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves, Paul says. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let there be light and darkness, has made this light shining in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. All the way back to the creation. The one who said, let there be light, has now put inside of you and me the light of the world. Verse 7 says, we now have this light shining in our hearts but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. We have this treasure inside of these jars of clay, these broken bodies, and that is the light of the world. The glorious light of Jesus Christ has been placed inside of us. And I love that whether you read it, yours says, uh, fragile clay jars or earthen vessels depending on what your your translation says like it's not they're not perfect they're very imperfect they're prone to crack some of y'all are missing your handle <laughs> some of y'all got got cracks all along the rim it's obvious that you've that you've well used and some just pristine my wife's her earthen vessel her clay jar is glitter pink glitter full of champagne 
<laughs> full of the light of the world. But you get the point. But we're all of our all of our, our vessels are very differently. But we have this thing that's inside of us that we are trying to pour out everywhere that we go. What does it mean? What what does it mean to pour this light out of ourselves, our clay jars, our earthen vessels, our bodies, our mouth? Our heart, our emotions, our posts on social media, our the the, our, the things that we say. Like, like, what does it mean for us to be sharing this light? Th this is, I believe, the theology of friendship. A, a pretty popular passage as, as we wrap up in Matthew chapter 5. It's, you're the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Well, I read this verse and began to meditate on it and think about it. And God gave me kind of this visual you know, like it's like a lighthouse. Think, think of a lighthouse, and and it's the idea of a lighthouse that didn't have its light turned on. What would be the point of the lighthouse? Like the lighthouse, dark is is, is pointless. In fact, it's going against the very design that it was intended to. You know, the whole point of it. Like, it might as well just tear it down if you're not going to turn the light on. And this passage in Matthew is saying well, that would be silly. You got to turn the light on in order for it to do what it was designed to do. We've, we've been given this light inside of us, so don't bottle it up and, and shut it down. And, and I began to think, and I was like, the church is like that. The church is the lighthouse. We, we converge are a beacon of hope for, for all of Sacramento and Rancho Cordova and Lodi and Natomas and Citrus Heights and Vintage Park and wherever it is that you live. And for those of you that are watching and you're not from around here, from Dayton, Ohio, and, and from Denver and wherever else that you are from, like you are the light of the world in that area. And I got to think of the church is like a lighthouse. And as I was meditating on it, the Holy Spirit met me and said, but there's one problem with that analogy. The church, unlike a lighthouse, isn't the light. It doesn't have this giant light inside of it that we just flip on. It's service time, so we crank on the light. There are some models of being in the church that that's the way they think about it. It's service time, it's event time, it's outreach time, so they flip on the light, and everyone that comes sees the light. I believe, I believe that the church converge it's simply a lighthouse with no electricity in it whatsoever. No light source in it whatsoever. But you and I come together and when we fill up this community known as Converge, the, the lights that we have inside of us light up this lighthouse for the city to see. It's not the job of the lighthouse. It's the job of the church to be the light. It's the job of the people within the community to come together. You've been to, you may, maybe you've been to an arena show or a, a show where the lights go out and it's just camera phones in the air. It's always just this like, you know, chill bump moment when you see all of these cell phone lights lighting up the arena, the, the King's arena. You see all of a sudden these individual people lighting up the arena downtown and in the same way that's what we do we shine our light we come together and the 
the more close that we do life together as the church, the brighter the light of, not of Converge, but the, the brighter the light in our little lighthouse becomes. I don't want Converge to try to be a light source for this city. I want Converge to be a place where lights that are just lit up come to, to be together and making a light on our own, that's a cell phone camera. You get a lot of those together and we can light up some dark places. And you have access to places that I don't. You have access to places that Converge doesn't. Oh, that we would be the kind of place that would reach the city by coming together and shining brightly and taking that light, lighting one another up and going and reaching the city, our friendships, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our dorms, our schools, with the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. What's the theology of friendship? The theology of friendship is the closer my friends get to me, the closer the proximity they have to the Jesus inside of me. So let's go, let's shine a light, let's shine brightly, let's reach this city for the sake of Jesus Christ. Let's go.